Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Trillionary Podcast, and I'm Kenzie, and I just had a really good laugh, a good soulful laugh. Hopefully, you know, I can bring you guys some comfort, light, and love with all the bullshit that's going on, um, and it's kind of gloomy outside, too. Hopefully, it'll bring the goddamn cool front, because I'm tired of passing over that section of my closet. Like, I'm ready for the mustards and the um, the hundred greens, and I'm ready to wear some boots. I want some thigh-high boots. I don't know where I can go to find those, but I really want some because I don't know where what's going to fit these thighs of mine. Um, But good news, they're probably going to get a little bit slimmer because your girl's been back working out. And I'm happy that I found the trainer that I found because he he's not doing what he wants to do, per se. Like, he goes off of what he's seen. Follow me here. <laughs> he goes off of what he's kind of how I've reacted in different training scenarios. So he's a kickboxing. Yeah, he's a good kickboxing coach. Like, that's what he specializes in. Like, he's a fighter. But um, he's seen, like, little spurts of my athleticism, like, come out. And he recently uh, put, like, the little bitty hurdles on the ground. And, you know, he was like, just run over those, just run over those. But the way that I was picking up speed, he was like, oh, shit. I'm going to have to go back in the lab with the pen and pad. And we're going to have to rework some stuff because I really like what I'm seeing. So I was yesterday... I was, I wasn't sprinting. I wasn't at like 90 or top speed at 100%. I may have been about 40 to 50%. I haven't moved my body like that in a very long time, but I want to say that it was liberating as fuck. And I felt so good because track and field is my heart. And I, it was just good to even just like pump my arms and just feel the drive like, like you're coming out the blocks. And it was, I may do an Instagram video for y'all. I don't know. Because I don't be wanting y'all all in my business like that. But, right? But then I think about how people was all in my business anyway. Whenever I would be at track meets with the bodysuits and stuff. And having to get down in the blocks. Somebody years ago <laughs> confessed to me. Damn! <laughs> right? <laughs> Somebody confessed to me why at track practice they like to hold my blocks. I thought it was because they just wanted to make sure I wasn't going to slip out. It was the view of the track, right? Okay. <laughs> Are you thirsty? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? What milk? My milkshake brings all the boys to the yard. And, uh... <laughs> I mean, yeah. Okay. And I just I just want to say, like, in these times, y'all, like, get out. Get outside. Move around. Um, I'm not the long-distance type of person. I'm not about to. Three, I was talking to this guy, and he was like, three miles. Mm-mm. That make, mm-mm. I told him I can't work out with you because I'm going to fake an asthma attack. And that's going to be it because <laughs> I'm not doing it. 
I hated cross country when I ran it. I would come in last all the time. Like the team would just wait for me at the finish line. Like, all right, she's back. Let's go eat. Exactly. That's how I felt too. I just wanted to eat. It was like a field trip. I just want to go for the cool snacks and eat. That's it. But yeah, so I'm I'm just happy that my my trainer, you know, he understands that I'm not really a long distance type of person. So giving me like the sprint, the sprinter type of workouts, um, I'm happy about. And yes, your girl feels good. Um, in other news, Tory Lanez could be going to jail and getting the fuck up out of here. Um, he's been charged. I know he hasn't been convicted yet. But, like, I need him to go away as of yesterday. Um, you know, <laughs> people were saying, people had really funny things to say about him. Somebody was like, Tory Lanez is going to juvie. <laughs> uh, somebody mentioned uh, kitty handcuffs for him, possibly. Um, you know, oh, somebody also mentioned that he's going to be a flashlight in jail. Uh uh, which yeah, hey, it's, can't say it's not impossible. Uh, even though he tried to convince people he was five seven, I don't wear. Um, but it's okay. So I'm ready for that. I'm ready. Uh, October thirteenth is the date. I will be tuned into whatever I have to to hear these final proceedings. Um, and that's that. Um. I also want to speak on Christina Evans again. Again, that was the student from SFA who had guns pulled out on her in her dorm room uh, back in September 14th. I know I've seen a lot of criticism and talks of people saying, oh, well, I bet if, that, if she went to an HBCU, none of that would have happened. And I just want to say maybe not by the cops. But um, but she is a black woman. Um, misogyny is everywhere. Um, rape culture is everywhere. Rape and domestic violence is everywhere. Like, just because she goes to HBU, some of these things do not just automatically eliminate themselves. They still exist. Because I can tell you, I went to a PWI, and four of the girls that I knew, probably out of about eight, four of them were either in a sexually assaulting situation or they were raped. One is too many, but four, one of them had to actually transfer in the middle of the year because of what happened to her. So, and he was black who who did it. So, of course, yes, in the PWY, the black population is going to be smaller yeah, that's true, and more occurrences are going to happen between black students. Yes, that's absolutely right. And all I'm saying is that it does not eliminate those same risks if she does go to an HBCU. Also, I cheered with black girls. I've cheered with black girls. I've cheered with black women all, damn near all my life. I took dance with... Uh, the hueless Caucasian persuasion, you know, for 14 years of my life. So I've literally been in, on both sides. And, can, I mean, it was reward, rewarding, rewarding in some ways, 
But to know how some of my teammates in high school would undercut me simply because I got picked to be captain and they did it and they felt like they should have when they didn't do anything to be proven to have taken leadership of that. All they want, they just wanted it for selfish reasons instead of what actually a leader would be. But um, it's, it happened. People can be jealous just because you have great skills. Um, my first year cheering, we went to um, cheer camp. I can't remember where, though. We went to cheer camp. And this was I'm, – and I'm on a team, and I'm coming from a team of – a lot of Navarro kids, a lot of TVCC kids, a lot of Blend kids. A lot of them have backgrounds from All-Star Cheer. If you don't know what All-Star Cheer is, please just simply Google it. <laughs> People don't think cheerleading is a sport, but when you see these athletes, it's crazy how they defy gravity. It's crazy how many rotations they can do from sitting from stand, from the ground, like just jumping in the air, like being able to do three and four twists. Like these people are amazing. And I was thrown into that. I ain't tripping them because I know the basics of cheerleading. So my first year, I'm tossing girls in the air, and they're doing like two full spins. I've never, we've done flipping um, basket tosses or whatever in high school, but I've never done full, like, double spins, okay? So, but the basics of chilling, I knew what I was doing, and I knew I could catch her. That's all I had to do, just catch the bitch. That's it. And seeing a certain HBCU there, I was proud, but seeing their level of, like, where they were compared to where I was, it was a drastic difference. Like, they were doing things that we did in high school versus these difficult baskets that I'm doing over here. No shade to them, but I didn't go to college to be... Ooh, I don't want that to sound harsh, but I didn't want to go to college and cheer and be somewhat in a remedial course. I wanted to be with the best cheerleaders. I wanted the best program. I wanted to be pushed. And the types of connections that you ha can build and have within cheering for some of these um, PWIs, it's crazy. I know gym owners. I know other coaches who coach for schools. You know, so technically we're family. So if I needed help or if I needed judges or if I needed anything, I have a group of people that I could go to for resources. You know what I'm saying? Not saying that HBCUs can't, can't supply that same opportunity, but I'm just speaking because I know what Kristen is going through. And I hate how people always want to throw HBCU this, HBCU that. But there are reasons why people pick the universities that they go to. Is it because of your major? Is it because of the other programs that this school may have? You know, like, there's a reason why people pick those. And just another example, I was in private school from, like, Montessori to second grade. And then I went to public school in third grade. In second grade, I was reading at a fifth grader level. And then to go to third grade in public school and I'm finishing all my work. I'm looking for something to do. 
you know, there was really nothing there to kind of like challenge me. So they did introduce me to the summit program, but I wasn't part of one of the partnering schools for the summit program. So therefore I wasn't able to be bused. And my mama had a great support system at the elementary school that I was, I was in. I'm just saying you have to look at the whole thing and these, I know certain details about this case that I can't really talk about, but I can tell you my experience as a cheerleader um, at the school and my experience of being a cheerleader like my damn near my whole life or being a dancer uh, like my whole life. And, that's, and, it, and it is what it is. But, um, again, I stand still, it's still, it's still justice for Breonna Taylor. I don't watch the video. I don't want to watch the video. Um, but to hear the comment of cops saying that she's done is sickening and disturbing. And it hurts a lot. Um, Justin for Brianna, Justin for Kristen, Justin for Meg, Justice for Meg, and and that's and that's it on that. So on to Lovecraft Country. This episode was heavy as shit. Um, I knew we were going to have to get into the Emmett Till um, plot line. Um, I knew it was coming um, because we've seen the buildup. We've seen her. We've seen uh, D play with Emmett. We've seen him ask the Ouija board. You know, will I have a good time in the in in the uh, in the North or whatever? And the Ouija board told him no. Um, the reference was Bobo, and that's how a lot of you were able to put together that it was Emmett Till. Um, we've been hearing about Tulsa, and we've been hearing about Emmett Till now with two episodes left. So, we finally opened the opening scene. We're at a funeral. Um, Dee is in white, and she is, uh, which I, I love how they played that. She's in white, and I felt like Dee was in white to represent um, pureness or, like, child, childlike, because Emmett was, was a kid. So I feel like that's why they dressed her in white. She's a kid. She's innocent. All of these things, and she's in the middle of everybody in black suits, right? And she's there to grieve her best friend, and the adults are trying to figure out, like, how can we talk to her? Because at this point, we know, well, now we know that Hippolyta is not back. We know Uncle George has been killed, and now she just lost her best friend. So it's a child going through all of these things, and nobody is paying attention to her. Well, nobody does. Nobody knows how to actually talk to her. And Misha Green, oh, my God, to know that it's in the summertime and for Dee to ask Ruby, what is that smell? And then they cut to seeing a woman leaving, like, out of the church and throwing up in, like, a bucket. It lets you know, like, how decayed his body was and how it can smell just that pungent. But we know why Mammy did that. We know she wanted to show the world like what they did to her son. And so we're going through things and then D runs off. They lose track of D. So D is a kid running through the city. It's like a ghost town. 
um, because everybody's attending Emmett Till's funeral, which I also found it interesting that one of the businesses had a sign in the window that said close for Emmett Till. And it was like, dang, like, wouldn't it be nice if the world could could just shut down and, you know, and like literally grieve or have a moment to to grieve instead of having this something like Emmett Till or instance George Floyd happen and then you literally have to put aside your feelings, put aside everything that you know or everything that you're going through and then have to try to focus in this world that consistently keeps moving. You know, so anyway, so DC's the two girls, two little black girls outside eating ice cream, kiki kinging, and it upset her because why aren't you feeling what I'm feeling? I just lost my best friend and you're out here laughing? So D gets upset. D throws a rock, and the girls scatter. And she realizes, like, oh shit, like I'm losing it. And she starts laughing to herself. And next thing you know, stupid pig ass cop, who we know is part of Sons of Adam, and he knows how to speak Sons of Adam, and he's also involved in magic. Runs it to D uh, because people were sloppy and left her comic book at the time machine last episode. They know that D is somehow connected to the rest of the magic that's involved. So that scene was triggering because we know that there have been children who have had instances where they have run into cops. Uh, Tamir Rice, Trayvon Martin. Um, when they were just being a kid, minding their business. Well, Trayvon wasn't a cop, but still, whatever. Um, and so, like, this part is really nerving because it's like, what the fuck? What is about to happen? Nobody, of course, nobody's in that area of town. And so Dee is literally by herself again. So the cop puts a curse on her, and he spits on her. And... Anytime anybody would spit on anybody, I think that is one of the lowest things that somebody could ever do. And when he spit on her, it made me so upset because I wanted to fight for D at that point. But then she falls and she starts like grabbing for the ground. And it's just like, oh, my God, like, please don't hurt this baby because we know what cops do we know what they get away with makes me think of daniel holescloth who specifically targeted black women as a cop um traffic stops or whatever and would rape them and he almost got away with it but enough of them went to court and testified against him and put locked his ass up Anyway, so it starts going, you start going through all of these emotions, and then they put the curse on D, and then we don't know what's happening, right? And so now D is again by herself. She goes to Montrose's house. Montrose, we hate Montrose, right? But Montrose is the only one who's trying to take time to talk to D. Nobody else is talking to her. Everybody else is blowing her off, but he actually tried to take time to talk to Dee. So while she's in the bathroom, she sees the picture of Uncle Tom's, the book of Uncle Tom's cabin, but the images have taken to life and they're scary looking. And we're just trying to figure out like what the hell is happening. And so uh, the reference comes from Uncle Tom's cabin, which was, a book that was created in like 1952 
Um, the novel, it achieved wide popularity, popularity among white we- readers in the North by vividly dramatizing the experiences of, of slavery. Why would you want to read something like that? I don't know, but it totally plays into what later happens in the episode. Um, and I think my English teacher wanted us to, I think that was on our required reading list. But I didn't want to read that shit. I didn't want to read To Kill a Mockingbird. I didn't want to read nothing. I've been like this for a very long time. I don't want to read nothing that's going to be triggering me in any kind of way. Even though I loved my English teacher in high school. Hi, Miss Verler, sir. But, um, so now, like I said, so Dee's running around because seeing the books freaked her out. And as she's running around, we now hear this beautiful clip of... This young voice, um, uh, no, the the YouTube clip. Yes. My name is Naomi, and I'm 11 years old. (laughs) Me and my friend Carter led a walk out at our elementary school on the 14th. today to acknowledge and represent the African-American girls whose stories don't make the front page of every national newspaper. (laughs) Whose stories don't lead on the evening news. I represent the African-American women who are victims of gun violence, who are simply statistics instead of vibrant, beautiful girls at full of potential. For far too long, these names, these black girls and women, have been just numbers. I'm here to say, never again for those girls, too. So we hear that clip playing over uh, over the scenes where Dee is on her bicycle and she's riding through town trying to escape what the curse that these cops put on her. And... It's terrifying because there's so much going on because you see these the they're they're opposite well at least you think that they're opposites but they they're they're called the topsy topsy and bopsy so topsy and bopsy were dolls that apparently back in the day um these dolls were created. They're called the Topsy Turvy dolls. The Topsy Turvy dolls were made for um, by enslaved women to teach enslaved enslaved girls about self esteem, supposedly. And some of them were white on one side, black on the other side, because back in the day they could only black girls could only play with like white dolls. So in the presence of the slave owners' plantation dickheads. They would play with a white dog, but when they're alone or whatever, excuse me, they can play with the black dog. And internalizing that and being conditioned for that, we definitely see, like, the the effects of it now, um, even to this day. And it, it, just, it just sucks. So Topsy and Turvy, I mean, Topsy and Bobsy, that's what kind of represented. But at this point, like, they're both actually evil. So my instance was, okay, they're trying to attack D, 
but maybe they will you know, maybe D will be able to talk to them or convince them kind of like Letty did in episode three and make them whole again. And then they, you know, make a super force and they fight for all black girls, all black women who have experienced, you know, um, abuse or harm or negligence in some kind of way. But it didn't happen that way. Uh, maybe later. I don't know. But it didn't happen that way. And these beautiful girls uh, became these terrible creatures. And it's just kind of like, I don't know if it was Dee's fear manifesting because she was angry or if these dolls literally, if these girls literally exist to torture her because of her fear, you know, and, or is it, taunting her because she is a black girl and we know the real monster in this whole series is racism so are they taunting her because she's a black girl because she can't be heard is that why they're taunting her so i believe d does lose her voice and she starts drawing these pictures and she like puts these evil looking dolls in like a it looked like maybe like a TV screen or whatever. And I'm curious to know that by her drawing that, if that is going to be some kind of power or can it serve as a curse to put them back to where they belong. Um, and then we see D um, Montrose finds her and tries to protect her, but she ends up getting, she ends up getting hurt anyway. Cause they like clawed her. Um, they have the long nails, and apparently Misha said her inspiration for this episode was Freddy, uh, Freddy Krueger, which is also why you saw the white children in the neighborhood jump roping because, one, two, Freddy's coming for you. But they were singing. Oh, shit, I forgot what song they were singing. Um, Oh, yeah, it's, it's some kind of answer the door I'm knocking da 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 so that song played like multiple times and then you know we also hear cruel summer in the beginning so like these songs really heavy messaging um and it's triggering as shit and let's show the picture of the beautiful ladies <laughs> who turned into yes Kaylin Harris and Bianca Bruton I'm not sure um, Kaylin's background, but I do know that Bianca was part of uh, Buzz Buzz, part of the Beehive. She was a dancer, uh, a part of Beyonce's entourage. I believe she did On the Run uh, 2, maybe, and I think she was also part of Coachella. So shout out to Misha for finding these beautiful girls to, like, capture this. And can we show the creepy picture of... <laughs> When she did this, it made me so mad. And this is the picture where she's, when they're entering the garage to go and torture D, and she, like, sticks her tongue out at the camera. It was so angering, and it was so gross because they're so ugly. And um, there was another one where she, like, got a zoom up. Like, they zoomed in real close on her face, and the makeup is terrible. And so, ah, anyway... But, like, these little girls, like, literally haunted my thoughts, low, like, low-key. Anyway, so now fast forward. We, we're about to unpack Ruby and her nonsense with um, Christina. So 
Ruby's on the way to the house. A white man is like, hey, you, where are you going? He's like, are you the maid? Ruby was like, damn, no, I'm not the goddamn maid. And he was like, hey, you know, like, why are you talking like that? Da, 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 da. As she's trying to get to her and William Christina house, who, uh, whatever this house is, the compound. That's a good word for it, compound. And William pulls up and he talks, he, she talks to no offense to anybody, but talks the white man back on. And so now we go into the house. Ruby takes off her clothes. She gets into a nice little bubble bath. And William is bathing her. My first idea is, oh, my gosh, like, it, even in the midst of all of this chaos and and uncertainty about her feelings and how she is supposed to feel and like what to do with D and what to do as a black woman and what to, you know, there's some sense of calmness because she's being tended to, which it was kind of relieving to see it. But at the same time, this is Christina bathing her as William. So is she getting ready to prepare her for something? Because we know, like, I mean, it happened to Tick. Before Tick was sacrificed, they bathed him. Um, kind of like how Prince Hakeem gets his gets washed before he starts his day. But in the midst of this, William is filling up Ruby to get her in the mood, not necessarily to take care of her. And Ruby wasn't really feeling it at first because it's like, what are you doing? Like, there's a lot going on. The last thing I want to do is have sex. And then it also made me think about how some people specifically target, like, grieving people, like the grieving widow or grieving girlfriend, et cetera, and look for that opportunity to, to strike and... Um, it kind of put me in the mind of that, too, because we don't know what angle Christina is really coming at at this point. And Ruby drinks the potion and she turns into Hillary Davenport. And then in the midst of the climax, Ruby busts out of Hillary Davenport. And Ruby, look, there's a certain part where, like, Ruby looks at the camera and it's half her, half Hillary. And it's like she's so dead behind the eyes because I don't think that this pleasurable experience that she just had even gave, gives her life at this moment. And I was curious as to why she even wanted to drink the potion um, that turned her into... Hillary, because she's experienced William as Ruby. She's experienced William in a black body. So why change to Hillary, which is a white woman? Why change? Why try to experience that? But Ruby came up with some lame excuse as to she just wanted to not feel what it's like being a black woman. So that's why she took the potion or whatever. And then we have this clip from when she, uh, the rest of her conversation with Christina. Huh? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I had a brain fire. I was like, what? <laughs> a 14-year-old boy was beat and shot to death. I know. But do you care? You want me to say yes. I want you to feel what I feel right now. Heartbroken. 
scared, furious, tired, so tired of feeling this way over and over. A 14-year-old and was beat. And that shot. scene was so triggering us from the dialogue because that's literally what we're feeling right now. Like, we haven't had time to really process any of this. And it it resonates really hard. But in that in that piece, I'm glad it, it was just that part of the conversation. Because Christina read Ruby for filth after that. And she gave her really hard truths. And it was hard. It was hard for me to kind of like stomach. And it was, I know... And for Ruby, like that would have been a hard truth that you would have to come to terms with because you turn into Hillary Davenport because, you know, as Hillary Davenport, you can get what you want, how you want it. And there like no rules apply to you. And so later on, we see Christina. She paid some jokers to kill her the way that Emmett Till was killed. And it was. I didn't know about the barbed barb wire that they wrapped around his neck and attached it to a cotton gin wheel or something like that. And that's what they tossed into the water to drag his body down, to weigh it down. And so Christina paid guys. I mean, she has a curse on her. She has the mark of Cain. So she can't die. So to see a white woman do this um and then she like she let them beat the hell out of her and then you know quote unquote kill her and and then she comes back and it's just kind of like did she do this because she actually is trying to understand ruby because at the end of the day Christina's a white woman Christina has never Christina don't have to Christina don't have to move like that she can lie she can steal she can cheat she could do whatever but because of white woman fragility she is able to get away with things and her word is going to be upheld whether she is lying or not just like old girl who lied on Emmett Till and on her quote-unquote deathbed because last thing last thing I read the whole was still alive how she admitted that she lied and no charges were brought against her um so to know that white women can navigate the world that way I think that's what this really shows um I do feel like that's miss that's what's missing in some of the allyship that um they do claim um but you know, for allyship, like if people haven't really been through it, how can they really relate to it? It takes a lot of digging and it takes a lot of empathy to understand that. And I do feel that Christina has some kind of feelings for Ruby. I don't know if it's as William or if it is as Christina. I do, however, like that they highlight the um, the queer agenda here. It's definitely because we have Christina, we have Ruby, we have William. And, you know, she metamorphoses into William. So is it Christina that's making love to Ruby or is it actually William? We don't know. And I want to applaud her for doing what she did. But at the same time, I can't because you should understand hurt of a human being, period. You know, a gruesome murder, you should hurt anyway. You know what I'm saying? But, um, 
And a lot of times people don't process horrible things until it's a white woman that is hurt. Um, until the white woman is hurt, whether it was that black cop who killed the white woman uh, because she walked up on the car or something like that. Swift, fast justice for her, you know, or uh, plenty of other examples of those situations. You know, I mean, Sandy Hook happened. These niggas don't even care about the children. You know what I'm saying? Like, we can't compare our moral compass to to white folk because they ain't got one. Period. Um. Yeah, so I, I don't know. I feel like Christina wants to be, uh, I don't know. We might be getting ready to experience a different um, Christina, maybe. I don't know. It'll be interesting. Um. Then at the end, um. Letty realizes that nothing wrong with protecting herself. Um, she asked Christina to give her the mark of Cain so she could also be um, invincible. And Letty forgot about that at one point. But um, the only thing I don't like is that everybody's trying to make a deal literally with the devil. And some of y'all was really confused as to why Christina could come into the church where Letty was and talk to her versus being able to be let into um, being able to go into Letty's house. And technically, church is a building. Anybody's allowed in the church. However, Letty's house is Letty's house, and it is protected by another power, which I don't, I guess y'all forgot, but the pa- I think it's Passover story or whatever, where God told the people to put the blood on on their door frames that way the evil will pass just right over them that's how i see this too uh so yeah like is that not witchcraft i'm just saying anyway um so we we get to the end of this episode and um tick knows that letty is pregnant um and Letty gets confirmation. Well, Letty knows, you know, but she for kind of forgets her power. And she went on, and uh, the cop, the pig cop, who Diana, shout out to Diana for busting in that room and calling him a pig ass cop and telling him that his shit stained because it do. And she said, "Where the fuck is my mama?" And Hippolyta is fucking Greek. Get them together. Don't let these people try to say, try to tell you that your name is too fucking difficult. That's another thing that was highlighted (laughs) in this episode. Like, don't let these people try to, if they could sit up there and and pronounce Zach Galifianakis and all of these other long ass last names, they can pronounce Hippolyta. Like, don't act like. None of this is new, you know, but they were trying to, oh, these niggers get so creative within it. They do. Oh, hell no. Okay? And they do, and that's fine. But you're going to learn how to respect this apostrophe today. Anyway, shout out to Dee for being everything that I needed her to be in that scene. But now we're here, and 
The cop who tried to bust in the house, he realized that Letty is protected as well, and he can't enter the house because he is of son of Adam, which the house is protected. So now he realizes that that house is now related to the magic and son of Adam, and so he go and tell the boys, and then the boys decide to shoot up the fucking house while everybody's in there. And brings us to this clip, and yes, we see Tick coming down the street, and it's a triggering moment because we've all seen videos of all of these things and where a black person may just be a, at the wrong place at the wrong time and they unload the clips. And as the bullet is coming towards Tick, we see Letty realize what's happening. She's running because she's invincible and the bullets are going to ricochet off her. So she tries to go and protect Tick, but then... The slog of slagger of whatever the hell pops out of the ground. And this one is different because it's black and it's not gray like the other ones. So, um, what's his name? Montrose had, Tick had Montrose call out the spell. Uh, Montrose was supposedly dyslexic. So why you got him reading the spell? Anyway, the spell possibly worked. No <laughs> shit. What? Is <laughs> What? <laughs> he is. Well, at least that's what he say. But Montrose be lying, so it's just kind of hard to. <laughs> exactly, and then it's like the son, a whole different language at that. It's the sons of Adam, so it's like nigga, stop playing. And so, so yeah, but 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 apparently the spell worked. And, uh, you know, it's a lot of talk as if it's Uncle George or if it's uh, actually, you know, because Montrose did say he would do anything to protect his his unborn grandbaby and he will protect his son. And we know that Christina told Tick that it takes a, a empty bot like a body to not disrupt the process of the spells and stuff like that. The only other dead body we have is Uncle George. So... We're going to see who it actually is, who the Slogoth is that protected Tick because it was there to protect Tick. And I just want to know where they're going to put him because um, it's a big old animal. Well, he went back underground. So I guess he'll just call whenever the whistle happens. That's when the animal shows up. And I also want to say that even though Montrose was dyslexic, there is a group of people who created uh, the founder of di the, I mean, dyslexic font, Christina Bower. And the mission of their uh, program is to give people with dyslexia an opportunity to still be able to participate in reading comics and things like that. Um, with ease, it helps them a little bit better. Um and they changed a lot of the books and stuff to a certain font where it they aren't able to flip the letters and switch the uh, letters and things and words like that uh, as easy. And it's www.dyslexiafont.com if you want to know more. Um, yeah, don't let things like that like stop you from growing, but there is re there are resources out there and use them. And... Y'all can so y'all continue to be refuge for your loved ones if need be, but also don't be 
don't be mad. Like, well, not don't be mad, but if they get upset that you choose you over that, it is what it is. You have to take care of yourself first. You have to take care of yourself first because you have to be well to be able to take care of others. Even in the airplane, if they say in the case of emergency, they put your put your mask on first and then put your mask put the mask on, you know, like your kid or or a loved one, whatever. Like do what you have to do to protect yourself, whether it's working out, whether it's just five minutes of quiet time, do what you gotta do. Um protect these children. Um because there's a lot of that shit going on, too. Um, yeah, love one another a little bit more. And, yeah, read a book or something. Relax, decompress, and be the best human you could be. And I'm out. Bye.